A website is never finished, especially a B2B tech website. Welcome to Forward Slash, the podcast that explores how B2B tech companies can leverage their websites to achieve fast, efficient, predictable, and scalable growth. In each episode, I take a big issue affecting the B2B tech landscape and then pick the brains of marketing leaders around the world to learn how the issue affects the questions B2B tech marketers should be asking about their websites and how to answer them. Let's get into it. Pedro Clavati, head of growth at Growth Hackers and an established leader in the website experimentation space, which we're going to be diving into pretty deeply today. Thank you so much for joining me, man. How's it going? Hey, Adam. Yeah, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. I think it's all over the place, end of the year, Black Friday, Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. Christmas, <laughs> OKRs, and et cetera, but so far, so good. Yeah, end of the year is always interesting. So yeah, I'm really excited about this. I think most people listening have have heard of Growth Hackers, at least the community, and, and you know, to a lesser extent, the Growth Hackers University, but perhaps aren't familiar with more of a like, product side, enterprise side of Growth Hackers. So I'd like to start there. Can you tell me a little bit about Growth Hackers products, what they do, and and really how they came to be? Because I think that's kind of an interesting tale in and of itself also. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it always started like, we used to say that we went the, the opposite way that like normally SaaS businesses usually go through. Like they usually create a product, from that they create a blog, from the blog a community, from the community online university, and etc. We went like in the totally opposite direction. We actually started with like Sean actually writing a book uh, to kind of like trying to organize the idea of growth hacking as a methodology, right? So if I guess like I would love to start with that because there's a lot of misconception about what is growth. And from our point of view, growth hacking is actually the constant process of experimentation. So that doesn't mean that you're going to be hacking your way up or you're going to be using black black hat tactics or you're going to get people addicted to your app as like some Netflix documentary (laughs) have reinforced. Like we usually just look at growth as a constant and conscious process of experimentation. So by constant, we mean that like there's a, it's a never ending process of experimentation. If you solve an issue or if you like have uncover an opportunity, then you move on to the next experiment, right? And Mm -hmm. conscious because you're not gonna be randomly running tasks all over the place. Like every task needs to be aligned with whatever the company is heading towards you. So like we ensure that the growth strategy is actually well aligned with the company strategy. And then we implement a constant process of experimentation, right? So I guess that's the first thing. And the intention of the book was precisely that. How can I actually organize testing as a methodology so companies can implement that as an ongoing process? And if we think about it, like basically everything comes down to that, like, Inbound marketing is a methodology that like most of the concepts of that inbound marketing takes like emails, blogging, content marketing, and lead nurturing, all of that already existed, but inbound is a methodology that puts everything in place. The Mm. same for content marketing, the same for SEO, like, and growth, it's no different. So we actually, it's a methodology for you to create a strategy and operationalize tasks as as an ongoing process right so 
going back to your original question, like the book led us to actually create a community because everyone was reading the book, like a few millions of copies sold. If I'm not, not mistaken, it got translated into 15 different languages. Wow. And like everyone that was reading that was like, yeah, how do I talk with other growth people? <laughs> like, how can I brainstorm and network with everyone that is reading? So that led us to create a community. And from the community, like people were exchanging information, networking their way up and et cetera. That led us to create an online university, which is pretty much like kind of the same thing that the book offers, but in a different format. Like some people rather just watch and learn, others read and learn, others do and learn, which is exactly what led us to the product itself. Most of the things were organic as a next step in the company. And mm -hmm. the product was no different, meaning a lot of people were like growth eventually became a serious department in a lot of companies. Right? Like there was like data science and someone dedicated for growth and a designer and a marketer and that squads and business units, it got professional in a whole new level and people like spreadsheets were no longer able to handle everything that comes with growth. So we came up with this project management tool build and design for growth teams. And the main difference between most of the project management tools out there is that it's one integrated with external tools. Growth teams usually has that on their DNA that like they are cross-functional, right? They're helping acquisition and then activation and then retention and then revenue. That basically means that you're gonna, your intersection with other departments is huge. So both in terms of people that you're gonna be working with, but also tools that you're gonna have to deal with, right? CRM, marketing automation, products, segment, like, customer behavioral data tools and et cetera. So our intention with our platform was to help growth teams navigate those cross department projects, break down the silos and simply pretty much like organize their process in a centralized way. So everything comes down to the platform. We consider ourselves to be the layer of organization upon everything that the growth team is doing. Connecting KPIs, creating idea backlog, actually running the experiment. And as a last like differentiator from most project management tools is that we actually integrate with those tools. So that mm -hmm. basically means that you can collect data as the results of your experiments automatically and just add the qualitative part of your analysis and conclusions. So cool. sorry for the long answer. That, that was perfect. Thank you. One thing I'm curious about is what was the timeline progression of growth hackers? Like the book was, was, was published first. When did the community come? When did the university get added? And then when finally did the products, I think the products are relatively recent, right? Like this has been like a 10 year, 15 year journey for you guys, right? Yeah, I would say like seven, eight, up to 10 years or something in terms of uh -huh. like order, it was book, community, university and product. Oh, and there's also the conference that we do, we run on a yearly basis. That's another asset. So I'm, I don't recall precisely the years that everything happened. And from a platform point of view, it started out as a free product. So we released that to every community member, like 500, 1,000 community members could get access to that. There was no charge. And we started to reiterate based on their feedbacks mm. as everything that we have done, right? Like as a result of their feedbacks, we keep creating, we keep reiterating, we keep testing. 
and with the product was no different. So initially it was built precisely like step by step, point by point, bullet by bullet, what the methodology suggests. But the methodology itself has evolved a lot. So mm -hmm. there is no like nowadays, there is no like one single way that you can implement uh, growth strategy in your company. Some companies use like the North Star metric, objectives and ideas concept. Some others use the like the one metric that matters. Some others use a whole new concept. And even the step-by-step -step process ideation, prioritization, testing and analysis has also evolved a lot. So the, the way that the product has evolved uh, was pretty much like becoming more flexible to adapt to all of those different demands, right? Mm -hmm. So we like initially was like, you either follow what we are suggesting or you're probably going to get stuck at some point. But nowadays it's like, it's quite flexible in a way that you can adapt the platform to your process and not the other way around. So both in terms of like framework, strategy building, how you organize your KPIs and et cetera. So now, like, even though the tool was initially built for growth teams to manage their strategy and processes, nowadays there are people, there are people like managing their product roadmap in the platform or their OKRs, like track, keeping track of OKRs in the platform. So there's so many different use cases nowadays, and we keep like adding more flexibility into the product so you can keep customizing it and adapting to your own needs and processes. Gotcha. A lot of good stuff there. I obviously want to talk about growth as it pertains to B2B SaaS companies, but I wanted to set the stage, provide this kind of backdrop first with five core issues that are at play within the B2B SaaS space. I'm going to go ahead and list them out. The first issue is this economic downturn that we're in, right? There's a lot more uncertainty. Wallets are harder to open. There are longer sales cycles, fewer trials and demos. Um, issue number two, it's just a hyper-competitive space to begin with, just B2B SaaS in general. And especially if we're talking about MarTech, very convoluted, dense space. Third issue, I think there's been this, this sole focus on demand capture. And we call it demand generation, but I think that there's a little confusion around that phrase where it's, we think we're creating demand, but we're actually just capturing it. Fourth issue, which I think is the most interesting, I think I got this from trust radius. 65% of tech buyers are millennials at large corporations and they prefer to control their own journeys, these dark journeys. So I think like all of these issues are at play right now, and it's making things very difficult for marketers operating in the B2B SaaS space, whether they're self-imposed or not. Do you agree with everything? Are you seeing the same thing on your end? And is there anything that you would add to that? Remember back in the days, like, I don't know, eight, nine years ago, there was this uh, infographic, like the MarTech landscape. <laughs> yeah like right. that guy I, I don't recall his name but uh i think it was scott or something and he listed like every tool and he could segment them and every year he keeps adding more logos into that infographic until like i guess four or five years ago he just stopped doing it because he couldn't fit more logos into the same infographic it becomes too crowded there's too many solutions and you're going to be competing with everyone uh, like with china with the united states with latin america with europe 
And that's a reality that we got to accept. It's not going to change, right? So whenever you're in the early stages of a company and you're pitching your product to a, a venture capitalist, you're going to have to prove that your total addressable market is huge. So whenever you're in that stage, most of the times you got to prove that your total addressable market is huge enough for them to invest, right? Like even if I capture just 10% of that market, I'm going to have a couple of billion dollars company that can get you like a hundred X return. And they start their companies and their marketing strategy and their sales strategy actually targeting that whole total addressable market. Mm -hmm. And I would definitely not start with that. So if even if we think about it, like Amazon nowadays is they start off everything and they are leaders on hardware and software, on data, on cloud, on logistics, on e-commerce and etc. But they started out with books, online books, because that was a niche that he conquered like almost 100% of their sales before expanding that into new verticals and adding more categories and etc. Shem has this formula for you to validate, like there's a whole bunch of different like definitions of product market fit, right? But I like Shun's because it helps you measure product market fit. And he just suggests like, all right, so interview your customers and try to get up to 40 or 50% of them. Ask them, how would they feel if you no longer existed? And you should be getting up at least 40% of your customers saying that they would be dissatisfied if you no longer exist. If you get to those 40%, you can kind of assume that you have product market fit. And then it's almost it like an inverted NPS score, if you will. Yeah, correct. Yeah. <laughs> and the point of doing that is not only to validate that you got that you got product market fit, but to narrow down the positioning, the messaging, the pricing, and your first customers to that precise group or cohort of users. If you try to please everyone, you're probably gonna not not gonna please anyone. It's a reality that we're gonna be competing with a whole bunch of people. Second, uh, what is that specific niche that I can satisfy super well? And one great example of that is the superhuman app, the email app. It's just crazy to think about it. Like, I'm going to create a product and I'm going to compete with Gmail and everyone that offers that for free. And I'm going to charge them and I'm going to be better than that. How did they do it? Like, even though their product was good, the first thing that they did was actually tailor that down to a specific niche of people that really valued what they were offering. And that was not like students or academics or salespeople or customer service people. They figured it out that the C-level was the people, like were the kind of people that really value their product for what it was. If I narrow it down to that specific niche, even if I have to manually onboard those users, even if I had to charge less for them, am I able to satisfy them to get like the 40% of them? Another fun thing about it is that whenever when they were interviewing them uh, their their users i usually say that initially you don't have a funnel you should have kind of a tube like let everyone that comes in like buy your product even if they are not able to pay what you you are asking or if there is they are not what you initially thought to be your audience or your ideal customer profile just let them in because at that point Quality of feedback, it's more important than the quantity of customers that you have. Because mm -hmm. what I wanted to figure out is exactly who am I trying to satisfy? 
that is going to help me both like position my product, the message on my website, the way that I'm going to price, if I'm going to go with product-led growth, or if I'm going to be a sales motion, sales driving company. Of course, that we think about it and we plan in advance and there's a lot of ideas coming and going. But at the end of the day, it comes down to how you're going to satisfy them and figuring out who you want to satisfy. That's the first step that a lot of us jump. Thinking about it like from a rational, rational perspective, uh, a lot of the times you probably shouldn't be heading that way. And PLG is also another example of that. Like having a product ready for you to launch for the customers to satisfy themselves on their own, it's not something easy. <laughs> it's something that takes not only resources, but time. And you've got to have all your data in place and being able to capture how your customer is feeding with your product, even if you're not actually watching it and not collecting feedbacks because you're not on the phone and etc. So I guess like it comes down to timing and better prioritizing the initiatives that you're going to focus on. And that leads me back to the example of the superhuman app. Initially, like every customer, they were onboarding, like it's an email app uh, that are that was charging, I don't know, 90 bucks a month or something along, uh, among those lines. Gotcha. So in other words, if they don't scale, they were never going to be able to make money, right? Even taking that into consideration, they were still manually onboarding every customer by phone initially because hmm. quality was more important than quantity of customers. And if you came in and even if you want to pay, if you're not part of that group that they knew they could deliver value, you wouldn't be able to buy your product. So you're like... From one hand, some of your metrics are not going to look that beautiful because you could be adding more customers. You could be sending more invoices. On the other hand, your retention rate is going to be great. Your upsell and cross-sell rate is going to be better. And the graphics that you decided to show your, like your, your, your investors are also going to reflect that. A lot of good stuff there that, I, that I'd like to unpack further uh, if we can. This whole idea of the different growth models that you can take, right? Whether it's product-led, marketing-led, sales-led, founder-led, but then also like the implications that it has on content strategy. And especially earlier on, I'm finding like that's a that's a really heated conversation as far as like, okay, do we do we go the content creation method where we're just building out all this content versus um, paid methodology where it's like you turn that faucet on and you're essentially just allowing your sales team, marketing, what have you to get as many at bats as possible. So I'm kind of curious from your standpoint, growth hackers, it seems like you can have like this interesting mixture of different sorts. Like you have your growth enterprise products, uh, you know, your experimentation and content operations products. Traditionally, that's going to be sales-led, right? If we're talking enterprise solutions, right? There could obviously be a little mix there, but that's traditionally. You have your community, right? So that kind of brings in this whole community growth. You have your university product. It's kind of this cool combination of, of community and, and product. So I'm curious, how would you categorize Growth Hackers enterprise products growth model? So that's a really good question. And there's like there are many different angles that we could tackle but let me start with that's precisely the case for growth as an experimentation program because when i told you the the story of growth hackers i mentioned everything that we have nowadays what i didn't mention was everything that we did that didn't work 
mm, right? Mm -hmm. And for us to get to those assets that we have nowadays, there are more failures than there is existing assets that succeed. That's simply the path. Like there's no other way around it, right? That's precisely because like the, the reason why we have a growth team and we always run experiments to try to validate that. We probably can find a success case to prove any strategy that we run. Like you should be doing content. We should be doing paid. And there's no issue getting our customers with paid media. If we dive deep enough, we're going to find a success story to prove any point that we want. So it comes down to like, there is no way for you to know exactly what's going to work if you don't try it out. Hmm. So ideally, what a growth team is doing is actually like the same concept that a startup uses to validate their product, the MVP, minimum viable product. The growth team will be having the minimum viable experiment. There is no way for you to know exactly what is going to work. Like, of course, you can keep trying to gather enough data to see if that is the direction that you should be heading or not. But I guess like the fastest path to actually get to that answer is just by trying it out. So mm. a lot of people are looking at growth as a nice to have department in your company. But, and I know that I'm biased to say since I'm from growth hackers, but I see that as an essential way for you to actually save money. It's a way for you to test things out without actually messing up with your departments. Instead of actually allocating resources from my marketing team that knows precisely what they should be doing to do something that they don't know how to do it, I'm going to send that mission to the growth team. And if it turns out to be true, like if they come back with data that's proving the point, then we can decide if we want to incorporate that into our operations, right? So like I like to see the growth team as kind of like the safe space for us to make bets. Because if everything goes wrong, then we know exactly how bad it can go. But if everything works, then the upside is simply unlimited. For growth hackers as a company, we have always looked at our issues on that way. We do a whole bunch of stuff. A lot of them don't work. And we simply leave it behind and move on to the next objective, the next experiment, the next project. So it's an ongoing, never-ending process of experimentation. And what remains are the assets that we mentioned. The community pretty much as the top of the funnel. Now we have a premium community as like the, the bottom of the funnel. We have the university as the middle of the funnel. And our final offer, like the way that our company actually monetizes everything, it's through our product. But it doesn't make sense for me to keep offering the product for someone who just figured out what is growth. Like they're going to see the value in our product once they have an ongoing operation, once like the company is already testing things, when they want to scale that, when they want to like scale both in terms of the number of experiments or the number of people involved or the number of departments that they're tackling. Once they start to scale that and compliance comes in and there's security concerns and et cetera, then our product actually delivers the value. So yeah. And gotcha. one last thing that I would add to that is that like once we actually release the product to the entire community, it can prove like uh, solopreneurs, uh, agencies, startups, mid-sized companies, enterprise companies, they all came in. And mm. usually like the people who, who get most excited about these new tools are like startuppers and early adopters and stuff, right? So they get super excited. It made us think and say, hey, that's exactly the people that we should be tackling, right? They love our product, but it was free for everyone. So the data might be misleading on that sense because it took us a while to realize that 
the companies that actually sees value in our product are large companies. They don't get excited about new products. They're not going to be like praising your product on Twitter saying, I love these. <laughs> so I could easily be changing like our entire existing strategy to a, a PLG strategy and just like launch freemiums, launch trials, launch everything, which could work super well if I was targeting startups or mid-sized business. But honestly, for enterprise businesses that we need to prove security protocols and certifications and talk with the procurement company and run like exposure to your database and et cetera, use our data and fill up forms and et cetera, and compliance stuff. That's simply no way that a product-led growth approach would help us with that. I'd like to focus on the acquisition part, specifically the website. If you're able to speak to the successful experiments that you're seeing your customers conducting, is there a specific hero design that you're seeing pushing the most demos or trials, or is there a specific careers page formatting? I wouldn't know how to, like, to say exactly like which direction your experiment should be heading, mm. but something that we have seen across the board among our clients is that the best source of ideas for your experiments usually comes from customer feedbacks and internal sources. We tend to look at like market data and benchmarks and see what our competitors are doing and looking at like the leader in the category to watch what they're doing. So that's probably why you see so many Stripe-like websites all around the globe. Like everyone is copying Stripe and stuff. And Stripe, Mm -hmm. like they do have an amazing website. But is that right fit for your customer? I don't know. In terms of sources from the best ideas, it usually comes with feed. Like, meaning your sales team, it's constantly talking with your leads. Your customer success team is all day long talking to your customers. And then whenever you want an idea to test, you go to a community and see what others are doing. So why don't you go back home and ask them what they have been hearing from the customers and from the leads and from the demos and etc. Usually, and not saying only for our customers, but even inside our own growth team, uh, in usually the best ideas are coming from our customers, our sales teams, and our customer service team. What happens is like if a company is not incentivizing customers to embrace idea suggestion and to take risks and etc. Like someone from the marketing team is not going to be suggesting an idea for the sales team. Someone from the sales team is not going to be suggesting an idea for the customer servicing, whatever it is, right? So it limits how rich your ideas for new experiments can go. But I would definitely just go back to the marketing, to the sales customer service team and just brainstorm with them. Like say, hey guys, there's literally no downside into suggesting an idea. If it goes wrong, I take the blame. If it goes right, you take the fame. And let's do it together. Just to speak up. And from there, it's pretty much about testing. I wouldn't be in a position to tell you exactly which patterns I would follow and et cetera. Sure. Because, uh, again. It changes. Like, yeah. And, like, we, I learned that the hard way because, like, our growth team at Growth Hackers, they are super good. I'm super proud of my team, right? Like, from the web designer to the data science to the marketer that is helping me, like everyone. But they're so good that we're wrong a lot of the times. <laughs> what I mean by that is like, 
let's like I, I don't know your opinion about it but whenever i log into amazon's website i find it terrible not <laughs> easy for us to just like navigate and, and there's no lack of resources in amazon mm. to sort of, like review their entire website you know why is that that way it's because it works Mm -hmm. because that's what it's like converts the best i'm pretty sure they have done like thousands and thousands of tests and it's that way because it works because it has the highest conversion rate and they are keep like doing it so um yeah that's one of the reasons why whenever ideas are coming from the growth team they don't have the same success rate that whenever they come with me so what i would say about it's like listen to your customers through your internal members mostly and try things out because we could be super experts like you know better than i do how to actually like design a home page and watch tests it comes down to that yeah and and it's uh, just kind of hearing you you talk through that it, if anything it, it seems like kind of a, a a great way to align marketing and sales just in general because that's like uh the conversations that you're having as far as like okay sales is hearing this from the customers let's let's test this messaging on the home page and the hero component or maybe on the you know on the the use case pages because we're you know they're starting to get understanding of all of the different you know granular use cases that their customers are using this product you know there's this whole conversation around like rev ops and it's breaking down the silos between marketing sales and customer service and it seems like this kind of conversation around experimentation is a way to either help a bridge gap or, or start a, a way to bridge that gap for companies who are kind of struggling with those with those silos great man this has been great i've got a couple of um rapid fire questions for you if you if you don't mind hanging around for a couple more minutes sure. um so I, one thing that i'm that i'm making sure to ask all of uh, all, all of the guests that I bring on, I think I, I think I know what you're going to say here. But what is it? What, what's one thing that you wish more B two B, B two B SaaS marketers, what have you, um, would do more of? Fast. <laughs> there you go. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. I Fair guess enough. like something that it's important to highlight is uh, also like wh whenever you're talking about like whenever I'm talking about a constant process of experimentation that doesn't mean that you should be randomly throwing tasks all over the place and just throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks like every test should have a final objective I mean mm -hmm. like tests and experiments and hypotheses and ideas they are means to an end so you do need to define what is the end before starting with the means like and so that's why the, the most successful teams growth teams that i know of they're also the ones failing the most so what does mm -hmm. that mean it means that in terms of experiments the experiment might not succeed like from 10 experiments they might run like nine experiments that didn't work but the one that worked has helped them achieve the end result so it like it's a never-ending process but you do need to ensure that it's like aligned with the company expectation and you know the end result that you're expecting, right? So I, I guess it's important to highlight that because I wouldn't just like get out of here and start just testing everything all over the place. Otherwise, mm -hmm. like, you're probably gonna like hit some stuff, right? But that like the perception of the rest of the company will be all right. So he got like 2% improvement on that direction, 3% on that direction, 3% on that direction. So it's really not like noticeable for everyone else, like the impact they have caused. So instead of going in every direction, pick one objective and have 100% improvement on that direction. Then you move to the next one. 
So that's like Elon talks about like uh, vectors alignment, right? Instead of throwing like uh, uh, on every direction, just choose one. That's gonna make your life easier for you to say which which experimenter should be saying yes to, which you should be saying no to, and also easier for you to show the value that you're bringing to the organization to the rest of the company. Makes sense. Beautifully said. Um, uh, any, you know, obviously the Growth Hackers community is, is, is a great resource. The university for those who, who, who uh, you know, have a little bit of money to spend on, on continuing education. Are there any other resources uh, that you recommend out there uh, from an experimentation or um, even content operations? We haven't really spoken about that today, but uh, you do have, a, a, you know, the Growth Hackers um, content operations product. Any other resources or experts that, that you um, can recommend listeners to check out? Yeah, so... Mm. What else? so many <laughs> so many <laughs> i recently like usually i'm i have been getting my sources from from twitter mostly what, what do you or, think about twitter's trajectory right, right now by the way i honestly love it <laughs> <laughs> it's funny who you talk who, who you ask and it's always the marketers who are like the vision is great, right? But <laughs> I feel like everybody outside the space is like, I hate Elon Musk. I hate him like viscerally as a human. So anything that he does is going to be just like fucked up. But it's like, <laughs> it's funny when you talk to marketers, it's like he kind of gets, he's flipping that model on its head. And I kind of like yeah. it. So that's kind of yeah. interesting. Me too. Like, I don't know where it's going to land, but I like the changes that he's making. And I'm not mm -hmm. like going to like how good of a boss he is, yeah, like, how right. good of an entrepreneur he is, then that it's, hard to have an argument against that <laughs> like most of the things that he does it really kind of like end up working pretty well <laughs> i mm -hmm. would say right and like also but I, I guess like the thing about he is that he does everything publicly and he likes like the the bus around it right but most of the times like whenever a private equity buys a firm it's it tends to be a lot worse than what Alan's doing. Just, they, they just do it quietly, <laughs> and and Alan does this like pretty loudly. So mm -hmm. uh, I got like the public uh, building mentality, I guess. Yeah, I got. Like, I was reading a thread from that. Uh, I'm not sure if he's current CEO or the ex CEO of Reddit, and he was like uh, uh, describing the playbook for whenever someone buys a company. And it's pretty much like you could see exactly what Alan is doing, uh, uh, step by step. So I'm mm -hmm. not sure like that's indeed what he's doing, uh, but yeah. I'm, I'm, Interesting either I, way. It it's great theater at the end of the day. <laughs> Just seeing everything <laughs> unfold. Um, wait cool. for the second phase of the Twitter files. Let's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Um, uh, last question: uh, Where can listeners get in touch with you? Uh, so yeah, LinkedIn or Twitter, uh, Pedro Crivati. I haven't found any other Pedro Crivati. So whenever you search me, you're probably going to find myself. So yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, awesome. And yeah, like we'd love to keep this conversation going. Yeah, and again, that was super fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I have learned and I hope the listeners too. Totally. Yeah, this was great. Thank you so much for your time, man. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're just getting this thing off the ground, uh, this podcast. Um, so it was awesome to, to have your support um, and, and come on. And, and yeah, the, the, like, truthfully, this was very fruitful for me as well. Learned a lot. Um, 
and something that we can take to a lot of some information that we can take to the agency and improve our own processes. Um, once again, thanks, man. Um, and yeah, hopefully we can have another conversation like this shortly. Me too, man. Yeah, love what you guys are doing uh, and happy to be a part of it.